0: Thank you, Don. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we will continue on looking at the marks of the true believer. What does it look like for us to live in light of the gospel transforming and changing us and making us new and making us whole? We continue on over these past few weeks looking at what those marks are and how we live them out. And so we will continue on this morning, Romans chapter 12. Let's start in verse 9 together and then work our way to verse uh, 16 uh, as we see the foundation for what we're talking about and then move towards uh, how it looks like we play this out in life. Paul writes, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, and never be wise in your own sight. Let's pray together. Lord, would you allow your word to be a lamp into our feet and a lamp into our pathway. Teach us and mold us and shape us into your image. And These are difficult verses, but we we pray that they would be a a truth of our hearts and of our lives. We thank you that we live in a time and day in which uh, we are concerned about persecution to our death. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans in this 21st century, but Lord, we also recognize that there are uh, times and places in which as we stand for the truth of the gospel that we will become increasingly at odds with our culture that we're in. So would you teach us and show us through your word what it looks like for us to respond out of a purity of our hearts. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna look at making one sentence this morning. And so first, we're gonna res- be responding to those who are persecuting. We're gonna be responding to those who are persecuting. You see in this passage, uh, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And much of the same way in Philippians chapter four, when Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you didn't quite get it the first time, again, I say rejoice, right? Because we understand that naturally in us, the first thing that comes to mind is not, I'm going to rejoice. We face hardships and we're not naturally just overflow of rejoicing flowing from us. In the same way, as Paul writes in in Romans chapter 12, bless those who persecute you. He's going to say, in case you would get this wrong, bless those who persecute you. In case you missed it the first time, bless, don't curse. Right? Right? I know it may feel like he's saying uh, this doubling up and he is he's doubling up on us to say those who are persecuting you bless them do not curse them everything natural in us every part of our flesh when we face someone who is persecuting us or at ill with us would say I want to see harm or I want to see destruction brought on that person. I mean, even since the days of like kindergarten on the playground, when somebody beats us in foursquare, we want to see them dominated the next time through, right? Someone does ill to us on the playground. We want to make sure the next day we're, we're getting in the sand trap early and we're pouring sand on their head or like we're figuring out a way to retaliate on the ill that they have brought us. We get it. That we feel that when someone is persecuting us or when someone is against us, that we would curse them would be the natural inclination of our sinful hearts. When we want to curse would mean we want to see physical and spiritual ruin on that person. Uh, We're probably not cursing and saying curse words on a person, but we are at times when someone is doing ill to us, we are wishing the worst onto those people. We don't want to see them excel. We don't want to see them do well. We don't want to see them prosperous. We want to see them do worse, to fall, to stumble, to trip. We want to see them make a fool of themselves. We're looking for areas and places in which we would see them stumble and fall. But here we see Jesus flip it on its head. Paul, flip it on its head and say, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So where do we see this fleshed out in Scripture? Well, I think one of the most important would be Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, if you want to flip back just a few pages to Acts chapter 7, you see the stoning of Stephen. In one of the most incredibly impactful moments of scripture to see what it looks like to bless those who are persecuting you, we see this lived out flawlessly. And I want you to insert yourself in Stephen's shoes for just a moment. It can be easy to read Stephen's story and just see him uh, being stoned and going up to heaven, falling asleep and everything as well. But for a moment, imagine that you are Stephen and you are about to be stoned by a group of religious folk. So if you need to close your eyes and just imagine you're thrown out to the edge of the city and in this moment you recognize that you are about to be stoned to death. Not because you've done something religiously wrong. Not because you've done, you are actually following the will and the calling of the Lord so closely. You see in Acts chapter 7, now they heard these things that they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. They're so mad at Stephen that they are grinding their teeth at him. Have you ever ground your teeth at somebody just out of anger? You're sitting there just like, oh man, I can't believe this has happened. Right, maybe it said the iron bowl as your other team runs across the finish, uh, across the goal line. You're grinding. You're like, oh, I can't believe they're scoring! Enough. Like you feel that that anger inside. This is on another uh, stratosphere that they're ang- they're so angry they're grinding their teeth at Stephen. And he said, "But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God." And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Now what would Stephen say? What would you say? You're looking out at your accusers hurling stones at you to the point that you're about to die. You're seeing the anger and the vitriol in their eyes as he is about to breathe his last at the hands of these stoners. And here, Stephen easily could have cursed them. Said, Lord, these people don't know what they're doing. Would you curse them? Would you send them off and banish them into hell? Lord, would you rain your fire down on these people? Would they never perish? Would they never uh, thrive? Would they always perish? Easily, Stephen could have looked at these men and called down the curses of the Lord on them. But what does Stephen say? You see in your text, Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's powerful. That's a powerful moment that Stephen, in the midst of being persecuted, in the midst of on his deathbed, about to die and ascend into heavens, he would easily be able to curse those persecutors, but he would say, Lord, do not, do not hold this sin against them. You see the power and the strength that is involved in Stephen being able to say, not fight back, not retaliate, but say, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. In a culture that would pervert this to say, if someone strikes you, you've got to strike them back. That it's strong and it's powerful if you hurt people who hurt you. And here you see the such strength in Stephen to say, in the moment that he has hurled insults on, that he has stoned to his death, would say, Lord, would you not hold this sin against them? Even in the midst of Stephen, you you look a little earlier and you see the life of Jesus. Jesus in his own words said in Matthew chapter 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Paralleling perfectly with Stephen to say, pray for those who are persecuting you. Don't curse at them, don't hate them, simply pray for those who are persecuting so Jesus, in Luke chapter 23, when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And what did Jesus say? Jesus easily could have called down the fire from heaven, could have easily called angels to wipe out all of his foes. But Jesus would choose to say in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think you're seeing a pattern that we'll continue to follow up on in, in Romans chapter 12 of what it looks like for us to live in a time and a place where people are against us. What does that look like for Christians not to hurl insults, not to hate, not to despise, but to love from a purity of heart. To not curse, but to bless To ask the Lord's blessing on a people that would seek to curse and to destroy us. Friends, this is counter to everything in my soul. This is counter to everything in my flesh and in my heart. When somebody crosses me, the natural inclination of my heart is to cross them back and to see them hurt and to see them on the ground. But you see the mark of a true believer is to say, Lord, would would you help me to bless and pray for those who are coming against me? And so we were responding first to those who are persecuting. Secondly, we were responding to those who are rejoicing. Responding to those who are rejoicing. If you look at this, you can see that, as Peter or Paul would say in verse 14, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I would, I would go out on a limb to say that it may be easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. Now why would that be? Wouldn't it be easier to get in there and celebrate and have a party and rejoice? Is that not easier for us to do? It's easier to party than it is to cry, right? But by the same token, at times it can be more difficult for us to get in and, and truly rejoice with the purity of heart with people than it is to weep. When we weep with those who are weeping, it's easy for us to say, man, that stinks for them. I can go alongside them and cry for a little bit, but at least I'm not having to go through what they're going through. When we rejoice with those who are rejoicing, we have to recognize that that blessing is not ours; it's theirs. And with a purity of our heart, we just simply have to say, "To God be the glory." You've gotten this thing. When I graduated college, I got my first, I guess, real adult job working at the uh, state mental health facility for minimum wage. I worked with adults who were uh, double diagnosed with mental retardation and another diagnosis that kept them from being involved in uh, normal socialization. This was their last step before they would have to move on to prison. And so from 8 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock at night for four months right out of college, I was laboring uh, for minimum wage at the state mental health uh, hospital um, doing all sorts of things that uh, just were unimaginable at the time. And as I got out of college and I saw my friends who were going off and doing these incredible jobs, doing wonderful things, I would get that call and somebody would say, hey Mark, you're not going to believe it. I got this offer from this great firm. You're sitting there thinking, good for you, right? That's, I feel so happy for you. As I look back and look at what I'm doing from 8 to 5, and then somebody else would call and say, hey, I'm moving to this great city. I've got this great job. They're paying me more money than I even know what to do with. And you're sitting there thinking good for you. Can I take you out or maybe you can take me out to dinner to celebrate your accomplishment, right? You feel that at times when somebody else, it's hard to rejoice for someone else when you're sorrowful for what you are not getting. And so it can be more difficult to rejoice with those who are rejoicing because we don't have a purity of joy for them. We have a bitterness of our heart that's not joyful in their success. It is full of bitterness in our own lack. I think as we live in a culture of social media where you're looking at everybody else's best moments, it can be easy to not have a a heart full of joy for other people, but a heart full of discontentment based on what the Lord has blessed you with. You look in Luke chapter 15, you see the parable of the prodigal son probably one of the easiest places for us to see uh, someone who's not rejoicing with someone who needs to have rejoicing you remember the story well as one brother comes to the father and says hey dad you know I think it would be better off if you were dead can I go ahead and have your inheritance and go ahead and take that and just live out you know to me I would rather uh, your life is not as important as your money so dad can I have your money can I have my inheritance so I can just go live I just need to get out of here so you know the story the father gives the inheritance to the son and he goes and he lives and he blows it all and he comes to the place that he is in the pigsty of life the literal pigsty and in that moment he comes to his senses and says it would be better off if I were in my father's house as a servant than if I was in this pigsty and so we all celebrate in Luke chapter 15 when the father the prodigal uh, returns to the father and the father runs out to embrace him Hoo-ha, the best thing there happens but you sometimes miss the other side of the story Let's pick up in Luke chapter 15, verse 24. The, the father proclaims, for this my son was dead, but he is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. You, see, you feel the scriptural undertones there, that the father is so excited that his lost son has returned? Verse 25. Now, the, the brother's older son, older brother, was in the field. And as he came and as he drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what this all meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the brother was angry and refused to go in and his father came and entreated him. But he, was, he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me a young goat and that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him and he said to him son you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and now is alive he was lost and now he's found you can feel that in the moment that the older brother comes in from the field and he hears the dancing, he hears the music, he hears the celebration. He smells the fattened calf being cooked, and instead of running in and saying, "What's happened here? This is so great! My brother has come home." He comes to a servant and he comes to his father and says, "Not even my brother has returned, but this son of yours has come back." He so sits in this moment where their brother should be, and they're celebrating his brother's return he should be celebrating the fact that this brother who has gone out and lost everything who has been in the pigsty has returned home that he is safe and he is sound and all is well and the moment where the brother should be returned and dancing and celebrating and eating of the fattened calf and celebrating along with the family is on the outskirts of the family seething in anger seething in bitterness instead of enjoying the fellowship of rejoicing Friends, many of us have been that older brother many a time in our life. Maybe our, our literal brother or sister has had a moment of great rejoicing, and instead of celebrating alongside them, we're on the sidelines frustrated and angry that such a, an honor would be bestowed. Maybe we've had a coworker who's been promoted, and every day when you walk into your office building, instead of joy for your coworker, you are angry and bitter at their success. Friends, if we're not careful, this anger and bitterness can seep into our souls and become an infection of our spiritual lives. And so, Paul would say, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And then number three, to weep with those who weep. Responding to those who are weeping. The Bible takes us here on a full range of emotions. We've got rejoicing, or we've got... uh, Uh, responding to those who are persecutors, responding to those who are rejoicing, and here we find ourselves responding to those who are weeping. A full range of emotions reminds us of Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. So here Paul reminds us, rejoice with those who rejoice, but weep with those who weep. I said it may be easier to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, but to weep with those who weep is not an easy task we have spent the past several weeks on our Wednesday night prayer time gathering these cards together and reading them aloud and praying over them each Wednesday night together. I'm always amazed and overwhelmed at the different requests that come in through these prayer cards during the week. Brothers and sisters who are in the valleys of hurt and pain and sorrow, and as we pray and as we weep over these cards that come in, it is the body of Christ together. But can I tell you The simplicity of this verse is to weep with those who weep. And at times it's not preach to those who weep. It's not fix those who weep's problems. It's not get in there and try to figure out and unravel all that the person is weeping about. It's to simply weep with those who weep. I tell you, as a believer, there's nothing better that you can do with someone who is weeping and going through a hard time than to simply sit on the ground, kneel on the floor, sit on the phone, and let them weep, and you weep right alongside with them. There's something spiritual and good about simply weeping and hurting and being sorrowful for something that somebody is facing. But to do that, you've got to enter into their equation, you've got to walk in their shoes, you've got to feel the full weight of what they're experiencing can't simply pat them on the back and say it'll be okay you'll get better and just go about your way he, he says weep with those who weep means that you're going to mourn that you're going to hurt with that person and sometimes it's easier to do than other situations I was thinking back this week of being in that little hospital room at UAB as mom was on the on the gurney and they walked in and said uh miss you've got stage four pancreatic cancer in that moment, every time somebody in our church says that they're walking they're going to go get a biopsy or they've got a test upcoming and they're waiting on results, all those emotions come back, and it's almost like I can feel it in the same way, and I empathize so, so, man, so heavily with those brothers and sisters who are waiting on those test results, who are waiting on those diagnoses. It's easy for me to weep with you and alongside you because I've walked in those shoes with you. But that doesn't mean that things that I have not walked through, that I'm not called to enter into your pain with you. I'll say I've never experienced what it means to lose a father and so if you're losing a father, I I can't experience that. I can't grieve with you. No, I get on the ground and I mourn and I weep and I I go with you. I mean, this is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 reminds us, if one suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I know as people at times, we can we want to fix people's problems. let say you're weeping, and so let me try to fix this for you. Let me try to give you what you need. Let me try to be there and give you all the things that you're going to need to make you stop weeping. But friends, at times, one of the most spiritual things we can do is simply weep with somebody. Just simply give our shoulders and say, here am I. You cry as long as you need to. I'm here. I'm, going to be, I'm just going to envelop you and demonstrate what it looks like for God to be near to the brokenhearted. Your presence by a phone call or a text or your physical presence with them in the room and just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here and I'm going to lo- weep with you as long as it takes for us to weep. I'm going to mourn and I'm going to grieve as long as it takes for us to grieve. At times we think we've got to give some perfect answer to get them on their feet and back on their high horse and everything okay. But friends, take Paul's word seriously. To just simply weep With those who are weeping, to hurt and to feel the same sorrow. With a compassionate heart, feel someone's hurt. We do this with a purity of our heart. You see, we complete this time together looking at the three sentences that we're making. We're responding to those who are persecuting with a purity of heart. We're responding to those who are rejoicing with a purity of heart. We're responding to those who are weeping with a purity of heart all of this flows from romans chapter 12 verse 9 Which we continue to go back to week after week after week all of this works when our hearts are pure and so we have the marks of the true believer is letting everything flow from a purity letting our love be genuine abhorring what is evil and focusing on what the lord has called us to in our flesh we will not respond well to those who are persecuting us In our flesh, we will not rejoice well with those who are rejoicing. And at times in our flesh, we will not respond well to those who are weeping. But when we allow our purity of heart to flow forward, then we respond with grace and we bless those who are persecuting us. When we allow our purity of heart to flow forth, then we get on the the dance floor of life and we celebrate those who need celebrating because we have a purity of our heart. And when our hearts are pure, then we get down on our knees and we weep with those who are weeping and we let it flow from a purity of heart. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word that is so instructive to us. Or at times we want to know all the answers. We want to know how and what and why. Lord, you've given us such an instructive, helpful passage of scripture for us to to celebrate and to rejoice our brothers and sisters who are rejoicing. To to weep and to mourn those who are walking through a hardship. And Lord, when we face trials of various kinds and temptations and difficulties, when we face persecutions that would come our way, Lord, we would bless and we would pray And we would earnestly call out your blessing over those who do us. So Lord, teach us, show us, and mold us into your image. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.